What's up, fight fans? You're listening to MMA Daily, the station where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. Today, October 18th, and this week's episode, Fall Interludes. I'm Gabriel Gonzalez. You can find me on social media at WG on TV. And I'm joined by the shows. She is WCE, Miss Kayla Beatty. Hey, G. Hey, fight fans. G, how are you? I am good. It has been a minute since we spoke, so I am excited. Um, What about yourself? Did your brain explode over the weekend with all the MMA that we had? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) There is stuff I'm not even going to be able to talk about on the show that we just don't have time for that I was struggling. But, yes, I got to Sunday and I just rested i don't think i even opened twitter on sunday to relax (laughs) i was just so burnt out but um yeah what about you yeah there was a lot of mma to catch up on but i feel like there was you know they were exciting fights especially the bellator grand prix um you know which i know we're gonna discuss but just kind of advancing those fights and seeing who's gonna be there at the end it was good i want to hear about pfl i know we're not gonna go super deep into it but it would be nice just to hear how it was live yeah you know what um pfl i think the biggest thing that i got from it is that they are a very they're very big on their broadcast however because they are still growing i'm not gonna lie to you and say that it was as big a crowd as the bigger bellator events or certainly not a ufc but um the fights were great they had a very clean just very straightforward production they were great to cover live as a as media as a reporter i got to see people and talk with people like eves edwards and caroline pierce during the event um and watch them work and it was really just well run i have nothing but great things to say it was exciting to talk to vinnie magalesh during the week the number one seed in the light heavyweight yeah. division and Kayla, if you haven't seen the clip, I know you love jujitsu. Your brain is going to explode. He went for a flying triangle, then to a Kimura. It was just sick. It, I think it's going to be submission of the year. And then, of course, getting to know guys like Sean O'Connell, Rashid Magomedov, Nathan Schultz, um, the finalists. It was just a lot of fun. My last question to talk about PFL, at least on on the air maybe we'll talk more after is did sean o'connell did, were you there for his weigh-ins and did he do something funny because someone sent me a whole youtube video on all of his silly antics during weigh-ins and or face-offs and they're hilarious you know i did not but let me tell you something about sean o'connell is that he reminds me of a class clown but in all honesty he is a very passionate guy who knows that he's got a great opportunity we talked about a lot. We talked about commentating the same night he fights. We talked about his dog, Mr. President, who also has an Instagram account. Um, <laughs> we talked about a lot of different stuff. And he was very, very core, um, very candid. But when I asked him, hey, you're about to fight for a million dollars. You could tell this does mean something to him. Like, even though he kind of seems like a jokester, he doesn't look very intimidating as a fighter. He's not like just bristling with muscle like Vinny or other guys. This is a very tough, very skilled and very hardworking dude. And he was a lot of fun to get to know. Yeah, well, if people haven't checked out those interviews, I definitely saw 
quite a few of them and you always do great work G but yeah it was nice um you know just to have PFL on the west coast and I agree I think Vinny's um finishes just going from already knocking people out and then showing how dominant he's on the ground I think he has a good chance of winning I I think um it's gonna be tough Sean O'Connell's a tough guy to put away though he I mean he took Mm -hmm. some punishment and I was like dude you your heart got you into this thing because you were taking some hits. But, um, yeah, fun stuff. I'm sure when we get to the final, we'll have a segment dedicated to it. Um, we just don't. Co- yeah, we should. Yeah, so often with scheduling and all that, you know, it's not that we don't like PFL. It's just how often are they scheduled on the same week as a UFC and Bellator and news breaking that, you know, for the sake of our show, we kind of got to be conservative with our time, you know? And I do feel like they sneak them in usually during bigger fight weekends for UFC and Bellator, too. So, yeah, it's just a matter of scheduling. I mean, we're not Ariel Hawani. We could be here for five hours on a Monday, you know? (laughs) I got, you know, I got to go get groceries. I got things to do. Ariel's got people. He's got that ESPN money. Anyway, but getting to it, obviously, fans, a stacked weekend of fights. PFL was awesome, but the ones that everyone's talking about, as Kayla brought up, the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix. Kayla, it's been since May, so that's four or five months without seeing the heavyweights, and they come back with a back-to-back doubleheader Friday and Saturday. Let's get it started with the big one, though, Fedor versus Chael. Um, Kayla, when I... We know how tough Chael is. I thought he was very, he's a very well-prepared, he's a very cerebral fighter, and yet Fedor just had his way. He just throttled him in that first round. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, that opening, uh, you know, strike that knocked Chael down to his, down to the ground was pretty, pretty um, exciting, but also just very telling of where the fight was going. Um, I, you know, I just, people think it was a mismatch. I just think that Fedor has that experience and has the power. I mean, Chael even said, he's like, you know, it's, he even said, he's like, I don't even know if I'd say that it, it was his power. It was his explosiveness. Like he said, even when he, you know, was on the ground with Fedor, um, and had a couple positions, uh, that he was setting up that Fedor just exploded out. So, um, yeah, I, I love that Fedor is proving that, you know, there's a lot of talk, especially with the Tito and Chuck fight coming up, that these guys shouldn't be fighting at old age. But I think Fedor is a good example of taking care of his body, training correctly, picking the right fights. And, you know, in, in things like this, like the heavyweight Grand Prix and, and setting up the right opponents, people can still give you exciting performances. Fedor looked great. I think that I really like Chael. I think that he has a smart fight IQ and the heart was there. I think that um, he did take some riskier moves, which I always appreciate. Like he wanted to put on a good show and and maybe catch Fedor in something tricky. It just didn't work out for him. The thing to me that stood out was we know how big and powerful a guy like Rampage Jackson is. And Chael held his own. If I'm not mistaken, Rampage actually weighed more than Fedor did for this fight. Um, yeah, I think so right. to watch Fedor just do that, um, the thing that obviously the speed, Fedor just comes at you a lot faster than Rampage. And I think that surprised Chael. Fedor stood mm-hmm. his ground and that left hook, like you said, really set the, set the stage. Also, I know everyone is talking about that moment where Chael kind of somersaults right off Fedor's back. The moment that actually mm-hmm. stood out to me was a little earlier. Chael gets on top. 
he's passing. He actually gets mount, but the second he gets mount, Fedor make almost like it was no effort. Just bucks him off and gets top position right after Chael secures a mount on Fedor Melianenko. That one was like, dude, you know, this is a different kind of fighter that Chael is in there with. Everyone is talking about the mount and it's got to be fixed. Why the heck would he do that? And it's like, did you not see that move? That doesn't happen. Chael Sonnen gets on top of you. Chael tends to keep that as long as he wants. And Fedor bucked him off like it was nothing. That said to me that Fedor is just a different animal. Um, like you said, just he's preserved himself well. I do think that this is the last hurrah. If the tournament isn't it for Fedor, it's certainly going to be the last major event. I feel for him. Just um, look, he's, gone, he's done well in the tournament. But you just have more and more guys, which we're going to talk about in a second, coming up. But um. Look, if this is it for Fedor, it's already been a great ride, especially for the fans who felt like he had that unceremonious ending when he was leaving Strikeforce earlier, you know, a few years ago. So I liked it. But Kayla, this sets us up, obviously, for his opponent, who we saw on Friday at Bellator 207, Ryan Bader <laughs> taking out uh, Matt Mitrione. Kayla, I, was, I want you to know I was thinking about you. And how you picked Ryan Aww. Bader. I, I always do, you, but you know that. <laughs> but, um, and I was like, oh, man. Like, he, the thing that shocked me, and you could go in-depth on this. Yes, he beat Matt Mitrione, which, you know, wasn't a shock. What had me kind of, you know, lost for words was how easy it looked. Matt Mitrione is a big, strong guy. who, And Ryan Bader for 15. Matt Mitrione had nothing for him on the ground. And I think that was very shocking. Yeah, it was. And I think, you know, John McCarthy was um, commentating really well because I liked how he kept mentioning, you know, look how Ryan is setting up the positions or keeping the positions with risk control. Um, you know, there's just those those little things that, you know, from Ryan's background with wrestling, with keeping the pressure, keeping the position – um, that, that, yeah, he's just very skilled on the ground. And I think unless he's facing someone that also has those skills or just really trains and prepares for it, if he gets you down to, you know, in his level and his game, it's going to be a really hard night for you. And I think that maybe Matt Mitrione, maybe like you said, just because he's not just a, a normal heavyweight, um, maybe Matt Mitrione thought that he'd have the power or just uh, size or just the skill to keep it on the feet. But Ryan Bader showed, you know, that, um, that he's going to be tough to take out. And it kind of makes me excited because I think that that's going to be an exciting fight, at least in my opinion for Fedor, just to see, you know, kind of how you were saying these younger guys come in and really see how much experience Fedor has. And it is pretty wild that a not natural heavyweight could win the Grand Prix. But I like where Ryan Bader's at. I think he's one of those fighters that moved to Bellator and has completely flourished so far, obviously becoming champ. And he, before this fight with Matt, was saying, if I win this, I plan to actually be an active two-division champ. We know DC's won it, but DC has plans of retirement. We know Connor won it, but Connor's, you know, taken boxing matches and, you know, on a whiskey tour. So we haven't dominant two division champ 
um, defending both of those, which I think Rory had plans to, too, had he won with Gegard. But that gets me excited. It's, I think that I could see Ryan Bader doing that. He looks great. He looks, you know, like he's in his prime. Yeah, you know, with Ryan Bader, when I speak with him, he's such a, you know, he's such a very cordial guy, but also very smart. He's very realistic about it. He told me like, well, you know, I'll see how I feel. Like I'm focusing on the tournament. Um, I know 205 will be there, win or lose what happens when I'm done and I can make a decision then. And he was like, look, there might be like this huge 265 just beast of a dude. And I'd say, you know what? I'm good going back to 205 or he might hang around a while, try to defend his new belt. And he's very just grounded about it. And I think that allows him to just really be free. I think in Bellator, he just has this different mindset. It's less stress. You're not dealing with a lot of the, you know, what's going on with the belt at 205 like he did in UFC. And, you know, truth be told, he kind of hit a roadblock. He did have a great run but he just kept running into these guys who respectfully are very dangerous not a lot of guys beat anthony johnson not a lot of guys mm-hmm. beat glover tashira you know it, sometimes it's just timing he is fought, he fought at 205 in ufc at a time when you had so many good guys like machida was doing well john jones you know the list goes on but right now i agree with you he does he, he generates a lot of excitement. I like the fact that he's a smaller guy moving up. It's similar to DC. And mm-hmm. I think all of that bodes well. But Kayla, I, I mean, we're not at prediction and all that yet. But the biggest thing about Fedor versus Ryan Bader, what do you think it's going to come down to in your opinion? I just really think it's going to be experience. I think the reason why Fedor was able to pull off the bucking that you're talking about and... um you know, really just figure chill out and be dominant is, I mean, I haven't even trained that long, but from what I've learned is like the more that you drill, the more experience you have, you're predicting what your opponent is trying to do to you. And especially I think with ground stuff. So I feel like, I don't know, is Fedor's, you know, fight bank and memory in his brain filled with that much information to where he knows how to defend Ryan Bader's technique. Um, I don't know. I don't know if wrestling was as uh, prominent in, in, in MMA through uh, Fedor's time like it is now. We're seeing a lot more wrestlers in there. Um, but it is going to be interesting because there will be a size difference, and I think the size difference will come into play as well as his skill in this fight and, where, you know, it was lacking against Matt Mitrion. Because like you said, he just didn't know what to do on the ground with, with Ryan Bader's pressure. Yeah. What do you think, G? Man, to me, um, look, good point. Experience. I mean, Fedor's been in there with a ton of guys. And even if he's not necessarily trained and done X, Y, Z, he's been in there. He's seen it. He's learned from it, you know, win or lose. So I think that you have to give him credit. He is a legend. He's got power. He's got confidence. He could very easily go out there and just blitz Ryan Bader and make something happen. That being said, I think it's going to come down to Ryan Bader's strategy and his execution. I think that if Ryan is able to have a disciplined attack, pick his spots on the feet, find his shot for a takedown, I think he can make it a long night for Fedor Melinenko. If 
he gets caught trying to do some stuff. If Fedor, you know, is able to sprawl, if he's able to read Ryan Bader's attack, suddenly it becomes a little different because I think compared to everybody else, Fedor could get in there quick and he throws hands and he's got a lot of confidence. He's similar to Conor McGregor in that way. Even if he's lost however many times, he will sit and he will throw that right hand because he knows it can put you down if he connects. I think that's going to be the strategy, and I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a good one. But, yeah, it was a ton of good fights in Bellator. You had the controversial fight, Benson Henderson, Syed Awad. Benson got the win, but a lot of complaining from Syed with reason. The footage really did catch catch Benson doing some stuff, but very good performance considering where Benson was just last year, so... You know, there's a lot to unpack there. I know there was a lot of attention for this fight personally, so it was quite a lot. But yeah, just a double a double header. If I'm not mistaken, Bellator is going to do this again. Are they doing another double header one more time before the Hawaii trip? I, I don't say they are. I don't know. You mean like for the Hawaii one? I know they're doing no a- before. Yeah, I think that they're doing it the night before the Hawaii one. They're doing like a, a fight night for the troops. Yeah. And then the next night is going to be the um, actual uh, event yeah. with with Alima and Valerie. So, yeah, I yeah. guess they are technically doing another doubleheader. Yeah, well, I, I, I could uh, I may be wrong. I thought there might be one more, um, not in the Middle East, but somewhere else where they're doing back to back nights again before oh, they wow. go to Hawaii with them. But. I may be wrong on that. It may just be the calendar messing with me after so many events this year. <laughs> but yeah, look, I mean, they're trying to close the year with a bang. And um, certainly we'll be talking about it a lot more as they get here. But yeah, for now, Bellator, that's a very successful two nights of action, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Moving on to MMA news. Kayla, I want to bring this up. It was very tempting to want to talk about everyone else's opinion of what happened with Habib and Connor, because Ronda Rousey had something to say. All these other athletes had something to say. And I felt like, okay, is it very interesting to unpack the opinions? Yes, but I felt like it wouldn't be constructive, even though it's dominated the conversation for the last week in MMA, to be like, well, so-and-so said this, and -and so-and-so said that, and it's like, you know... It, it wouldn't be adding anything new to talk about what someone else said about it. You know what I mean? So I elected for us to really, you know, we've said our piece on how we feel about Connor and Habib. We're still waiting for the outcome, even though we know it's dominating the talk and, you know, speculation. So I wanted us to talk about something new that we can well, actually gee, discuss. Go ahead. Before you go there, just because you brought it up, I do just want to say I find it very hilarious how everyone's like, Rhonda never give, talks to media. Rhonda never talks to media. And as soon as she opens up her mouth about this, everyone's like, shut up. We don't want to hear from you. And I'm like, they love hearing from Nisha Tate about her opinion on every little dispute going on in MMA. But no one wants to hear from Rhonda when she's going against, um, you know, a Connor show or Habib, you know, just like the, the crazy antics. But I did find that pretty hilarious. That's because Rhonda jumped ship. Oh, and, God. And, and, okay, well, see, we won't get into it. Respectfully, into it. I, I'll flip channels now and I see Rhonda on WWE and I'm thinking, 
oh, so suddenly you're there. We were the ones who were there waiting for you for a year to come back. And now all these WWE fans get to see you every week. Okay. All right. I get it. Look, I love Ronda, but it's kind of like, okay, that's this is the world we live in now. Um, that That's all I'll say about that. You know, I think that that may be why, personally. Um, was it hypocritical? I mean, I can go into detail. I'm going to say no, because circumstances were different. That's it on Ronda's opinion on Conor Habib. Um, moving on to somebody I think we might agree a lot more on. George St. Pierre says he will only return for quote, legacy fights. He went on Ariel Hawani's show and he said that he very likely could retire as he's only interested in these big historical for his record, for his legacy matches in his career. For example, Habib, 27-0, and 0, a third UFC title in a, th- in a third weight class. Big fight. He talked about that. He said he's not interested in Tyron Woodley. He says he knows Woodley's doing great, but that fight just isn't it for him right now and the one that really just stood out Kayla he said it's not about money and personally his motivation just isn't there like he used to be he says there's a lot of politics he said it's just been a lot of time and so he just doesn't feel about it the way he used to when he was earlier considering a comeback so the question for you Kayla Mm -hmm. would you want to see George St. Pierre come back for just one fight against let's say the winner of Tony and Habib I don't and even though you know I love George St. Pierre he is the fighter that really got me into MMA I don't like that he's going out this way I feel like he had his comeback won the belt with Michael Bisping even when people said it was crazy that he was trying to go up you know I don't really like how that even played out where he didn't get to defend it but I feel like enough time went by Um, And we kind of understood it was with health reasons that I was going to be okay with. Okay, cool. He had one last run of getting another belt, you know, in a new division. But to hear him just say like, oh, well, I might pop in here and there for like a money or I guess he's saying it's not for the money, but a legacy fight. I'm kind of like, why do you need to do that, though? Like, again, you're going after trying to go after a belt at 155 when there is a list of killers that are actively trying to fight for that belt, it's not fair to have these people just pop in for their own selfish reasons of their legacy. And then like you want to win the belt and then drop it again. Why are you wasting our time? I feel like then wait for the UFC to do a grand prix and then you can pop in and have these one or two fights for your legacy. I'm not about it. I think it's disrespectful to the other division I think that he's talking about the politics and how times have changed in the UFC. Well, then don't add fuel to the fire by jumping in and making the people at 155 wait for another title shot. Don't keep benching Tony Ferguson because you're going to throw in your name and get this like, you know, big fight uh, and, and just taking people's spot just so you can make a quick paycheck. I don't like it. That's why I also don't like Nate Diaz trying to just jump in for one fight. I think it's silly. Stay retired. For me, you know, like yourself, George St. Pierre is always going to be the man. I mean, I before I ever interviewed one fighter or even thought about doing it, GSP was the guy on TV just destroying the competition. So I, I always, you know, view him through that lens, if I'm being honest. 
that being said, I agree with you. I think that for just one fight, as much as I love GSP, as much as I think it would be amazing for him to do it, and I think he has the ability, if I'm being honest, I just don't think it's fair. I think that, you know, when you talk about a championship, you're talking about, you know, getting invested. Like, you, if you're coming back to say you're the best, it's not just one guy. It's not just exactly. one fight. If you're, yeah, if you're talking about you want to be the best 155-er, Okay, Habib is a great 155er. That's true, and yes, he's the champion. But if you're really talking about it, I'd want you to also take out Connor, Tony, Dustin Poirier, all these guys. And if that's not what you're motivated for, respectfully, I kind of don't want to see you get that title shot because I think for me, the drama, the investment is more worth it to have a guy like Habib try to take out the other two in the big three of him, Connor, and Tony. Or Tony Ferguson to attempt to do that. That is bigger for me. I think that, um, look, I understand. He doesn't have to fight anymore. He's got the money. And if he wants to walk away, I respect that. Because he's going out on top. Even with the Michael Bisping, we talked about it. It left a sour taste in my mouth. He wants to go out on top, though. I can respect it. You know, it happened. Let it go. Him now teasing it is like, ugh. George, I love you, man, but I, Tony is ready to kill it for a while. I'd rather see him in there try to go after Habib, even though the fight with you and, you know, Habib would be great. That's how I feel. For someone that's always been like a respectful martial artist, and I feel like always, you know, just held himself well, it feels like he's letting the circus, the politics, the fame, the way the fans are drawn to certain things, it feels like it's kind of letting him making him sell out and kind of corrupting what I always appreciated about GSP. So that's why I don't like, and it leaves a sour taste in my mouth is I'm just like, you know, just, just leave your legacy where it's at. And I, I completely agree. I think that taking out, you know, Habib and, and giving him his first loss. Sure. That's a huge accomplishment, but does that make you the number one, best, greatest lightweight of all time? I don't think so, because just like you said, you didn't fight any of the other great lightweights at the time. Yeah, and now respectfully, he did say that he is, you know, he said retirement is a little more likely than making this fight happen. Although I'm sure UFC, because it's business, you know, that door is far from shut. But he did acknowledge that, so I want to say that. But um, Yeah, Kayla, let's talk about it because, like you said, you know, a lot of history. This is a guy who's been on top of the game. If we've already seen the best of GSP, this is it on his career, what legacy does he leave behind, in your opinion? Uh, I think just being someone that, well, one, held himself, I feel like a true martial artist should, always respectful, um, you know, inside and outside of the octagon. But then the way that he was able to take an opponent, there's a YouTube video that you can watch where it's really funny how it's set up too. But each opponent that he had, he was someone that, to me, kind of like a Conor McGregor, learned from each fight and evolved with each fight, saw an opponent and really, you know, put in the work in the gym to figure out how to take take him out. But then, of course, always relied on his, skill that he that to be a dominant champion or dominant fighter um so i think he was i think maybe he was one of those first fighters to kind of 
realize the sport has more than one element to it. What do you want to add to that? I agree with you. Um, I, for one, for myself as a fan, I always appreciated GSP's professionalism. Um, Mm -hmm. No matter how many fights he had, you were never going to see what you saw with Conor and Habib happen at a George St. Pierre fight. And I think that that's something, you know, I I respected the fact that he took that responsibility and he ran with it. And clearly it worked out for him. He became very marketable and profitable, a lot of crossover appeal. All of that, I think, says a lot about the individual and the responsibility he took of his platform. I think that what stands out to me of him as a martial artist was that he was really one of those first guys to really be this freak athlete who was also not just good at multiple things or, you know, very strong at one and okay at the other. He really was great striking and grappling, had a gas tank that could go 25 minutes easy. Um, He really was one of those first few guys to blend it all together with that high level athleticism. And I think that's what really made him so dangerous against these tough guys over the years like Tiago Alves, like Johnny Hendricks, like Nick Diaz, Carlos Condit, all the guys he took out during that long run. And I think that, you know, when you put it all together, he really showed that, hey, you know, as these athletes are getting better, you know, everyone says it every year, the athletes are stronger, faster. Well, if you could put the skills together too, GSP set the blueprint for just how great you could really be. You don't have to have necessarily all the boxes. He was never a one-punch knockout kind of guy, which a lot of people criticized him mm-hmm. for, like Anderson, you know. You know, that one always, you know, kind of stood out, which one would win because Anderson has that knockout ability. But GSP had everything else, and he showed that what just how far you can get with it. And Kayla, I'll give you an example when I talk about the legacy of George St. Pierre. A young guy you and I know who's killing it right now, Aaron Pico, everyone kind of hyping him up. Is he going to be the chosen one, the next big thing in mixed martial arts? And I ask him, you know, he's always doing the press conferences, very nice, well-tailored suit. And, you know, I asked him about it and he was like, well, you know, this was professionals. And he said, when I was coming up and I was watching guys like George St. Pierre showing up to the press conferences and the suit and everything, you know, that was kind of... I took the example, like, this is what the pros did. When you talk about legacy, I think that's something that you got to acknowledge. Another thing I asked Aaron, you know, hey, you work with Freddie Roach. Love him in boxing, but respectfully, how does it work, Freddie, in MMA? And Aaron Pico's telling me, well, what you got to remember also is that Freddie Roach has been working a lot of years with George St. Pierre. So he actually Mm -hmm. even knows more of how MMA works and how to train for it. When you're talking about that GSP has had that impact on an already legendary boxing coach, I think that just says a lot about what how he's affected the game. And to me, that's going to be the guy GSP, you know, is when we remember him. I like that you threw that in. That's a very good point. Yeah, I think, um, look, would I love to see him again? Absolutely, because it's GSP and... I think that it's going to be very rare to ever find a talent quite like him. But I think, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone has their day. And GSP had many years at the top of the game. And that's just kind of the nature of it. The next wave, your Max Holloways and what have you, are coming up now. They're building their time. 
And I think that GSP, yeah, I think, he made an impact. Uh, and I think, too, like, you know, it's not that we wouldn't want to see him fight. It's just that, to me, to see these older legendary fighters fight the top guys, you know, currently competing, I, I don't know if I want to they were to do something where it's like, you know, GSPs, the Anderson able to keep up vision or like super fights with that. That's what I'd like to see. And not that I don't think that George St. Pierre would maybe give Habib a good run for his money. I mean, he, you know, like you said, like was able to stay pretty healthy throughout has kept up pretty well and can, his game but I just I don't know if I'd want to see him even come back and try and be a dominant champion against all these younger guys it's it's just it's hard because you want to see them back but you also feel like you've had your time now let the new kids come in I agree so man it's a lot but look GSP we got love for you on MMA daily you're welcome anytime yeah so I, I I think with that but yeah that's that's a big update from a real legend of the sport in my opinion now of course Kayla okay I think that I have the right rowboat for us you said that you'll catch the fish and we'll have the umbrella to shake <laughs> the sun because now it's going to be a double header in Hawaii now, they, we all know Alima versus Valerie is going to be on December 15th. But on December 14th, the day before in the same venue, Bellator is going to have another fight card. This one headlined the lightweight championship between Michael Chandler and Brent Primus. The rematch more than a year in the making after the controversial circumstances of the last one. And they're going to have a great co-main event. They have former title challenger and breakout star Alejandra Lara taking on Juliana Velasquez. Kayla, real quick on the co-main event. When I've talked to Alima in the past, one of the girls that she actually mentioned could be a title challenger was Juliana. And I think that that's saying Mm. a lot about, you know, she's aware that these girls are out there. I think that this could be a title eliminator. I am not sleeping on this fight card one bit just because it's going to be like the precursor to the big Alima card. I think that's worth noting. But um, Kayla, the big one, Michael Chandler versus Brent Primus. I mean, is this still the fight? Is Does it still need to happen? Because I think that not everyone thinks it does. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think it does just because a belt is sitting there. I think Michael Chandler doesn't necessarily need this fight because I think he's already mentioned, you know, I've been pretty dominant. He's hinted at in his division and, you know, he's hinted that he's maybe wanted to move up. Um, but I I do want this rematch back because I do feel like it, just funky things happened in that fight and I didn't love how Brent Primus won. So, unfortunately, I kind of need to see a performance out of him, you know, that doesn't have funky stuff like that happen just to really be a believer of, like, wow, this guy took out Michael Chandler in a dominant fashion. Like, he for sure, you know, um, is going to be riding his champ for a while. Um, So, I I do think it needs to happen. It sucks that it took this much time. Um, And... I don't know. I mean, I, I understand Michael Chandler's frustration, too, because 
because of the time that's passed by, I think he didn't want people to think he's just sitting around waiting to get that belt back. Um, I think he, you know, has other plans for Bellator, especially since he signed a brand new contract with them too. So um, I am excited though. I think like you said, just the fact that they have that co-main event, the Bellator is doing really well with their 125 division. And I hope that UFC, once they finally make this fight with Yawan and Valentina, they start kind of taking off too, because I just from the fighters that I know and, and, you know, the ones we've interviewed, there are a lot of dominant girls that feel like their natural weight is 125. And I think that now we finally have, um, you know, or even just the 115, 125 and 135, just having those three, I think we're really going to start getting some exciting performances out of these women now that they finally have their natural weight classes set up. And I'm talking about to where you have a division stacked like the UFC's lightweight division. I think that there's a lot of talent there that we're just waiting for this. So I'm happy that Bellator is booking so many of these girls to start really making a name for themselves and, you know, give Alima a run for her money. I like that they're booking them in marquee fights marquee spots on big cards because I think that's given them the exposure and you got Mm -hmm. some talented marketable girls who are just kind of ready for their moment in the sun and they're taking advantage of it that's why they're stepping up do you remember that those fights in Temecula they really they gave they brought it for sure absolutely I mean uh, I'll say this like Alejandro Lara that you know hasn't had too many interviews those numbers still just bump up every so often I check on them because everyone just loves her. And, you know, there's a lot of breakout stars there. I think that Velasquez could potentially be one also being undefeated comes into this with a better record. I think than Alejandra, I think that all of that is right there. We're not even talking about the other girls. I mean, Valley Letourneau is going to be a tough cookie for Alima. I think that that's got to be, you got to respect that. So, I like it, and I agree with you. I think the UFC, look, they've hit some roadblocks, let's say like it is, but I, they do still have an opportunity. They do still have the biggest names in the Mackenzie Derns, Joanna, Valentina, Andrea Lee, others that people are familiar with, this Carmooch. There's a lot of talent there. It just has to take off, I think, and they need some dominoes to fall. Uh, talking about Michael Chandler, Brent Primus, though, Kayla, the way I compare it to is that Michael Chandler has gotten dressed. He's got his bag packed. He's got the car ready. But the Brent Primus fight is, you know, he still has to do the laundry before he can leave. That's what it feels like. It's not a priority. It feels more like a chore at this point because Brent hasn't fought. We haven't seen him since the fight with Michael Chandler. We haven't, we don't even really hear about him which I think is unfortunate because I almost want him to give me like, yeah, tell me you're angry. Tell me you're angry that you can't freaking fight Michael Chandler because otherwise, I'll be honest, he starts to feel like an afterthought. Now, anything can happen in that cage. He did earn a title shot the first time against Michael. You can't count him out. But the fact is, you know, this fight, I think a lot of people see it as a stepping stone before Michael maybe moves up to 170. Maybe we're talking super fights 165 and Bellator wants to beat UFC to the punch there. I think that all of that, you know, you kind of need to see a little more from Brent Primus before you, you know, otherwise it feels like it's just going to be the Michael Chandler show and feels like he's just the uncrowned champion. So 
I think that's my one thing about it is that I kind of need a little more. But look, it is unfinished business, and I really hope they handle it. And there's no controversy this time. Um, as I'm, I'll be honest, Kayla, the word funky. I'm a little worried about that. Now I'm going to be thinking, man, what if something funky happens tonight too? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I hope that they don't have that bad luck. Then I'm going to start. They have a little bit of that curse that a uh, Tony and Habib have. Um, don't, but yeah, don't, don't I talk like I that. Think that <laughs> I think that's one thing we have to kind of fault, um, you know, Brent Primus. And I actually know members of his team and I don't know why they've, they've really protected him and kept him quiet. And I mean, maybe I'm feeling kind of the frustration that you have with a Miss Rousey or Mrs. Uh, Brown. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is frustrating when it's like, we don't, we, it's not like we want you to tell you, tell us exactly about your injury or, you know, give us as many details as what you're having for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But we need to hear from you a little bit, especially if you're in, currently in the champion position. And I'm surprised Bellator hasn't put a little more pressure on just having him check in with media because, you know, it's hard to sell a fight and get excited about it. Um, you know, if, if you don't hear from him and I think that you're right. I think that right now it is the Michael Chandler show. Most people will be tuning in just to see a healthy Michael Chandler, you know, without anything funky, go in there and try and get his belt back. It's not so much that we're really tuning in because we're like, Oh, Brent Primus is finally coming back. And that's not a very good sign if you're the champ, but I really think that it's, it's due to his lack of inactivity talking and, and letting us know where he's at. But I also don't follow him on Twitter or social media, so I probably shouldn't say that. All right, fans, apologies for the technical difficulties. <laughs> so, Kayla, I was just telling you, I think that Brent Primus posts a lot of pictures of his cat. His cat? He's a cat dad. At least, you know what? No, sorry, that's another fighter. But let me see. <laughs> He posts a lot of, okay, I mean, apparently he's training like a beast, according to his Instagram. Everything is all about him working out with the team. So I'm hoping, you know, we're getting a much bigger fight than maybe the lack of talk would indicate. So, look, I mean, uh, he got there for a reason. And we've seen with Brandon Gertz and other guys, just because it's Michael Chandler doesn't mean that you can't go out there and put on a show. So you don't count anybody out in this game. That's for sure. But the pre-fight leading up to it, I think it really just is all Michael Chandler at this point. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, of course now, one guy who could have made a splash, but is, is instead taking his talents to Asia, Eddie Alvarez announcing that he has signed with 1FC, so he makes the move after completing his UFC contract in June against Dustin Poirier. Kayla, he won the lightweight championship in 2016. He's got a 4-3-1 record in UFC. He went 10-1 in Bellator, was the longtime lightweight champion. Two epic fights with Michael Chandler. Um, I was actually at the rematch him, with him and Michael. That sucker was bananas, let me tell you. I <laughs> wanted that fight to happen a third time. I didn't care where it was. That one was just epic. But yeah, look, I think the writing was on the wall. Even Dana White said he would, quote, be okay if Alvarez wanted to sign somewhere else and that he totally understood if Eddie leaves. Um, Kayla, he is still a top five lightweight in the UFC. 
it's not completely out of the question that he could have maybe fought his way to title contention. So what do you think of him choosing to walk away to compete in Asia? You know, I actually think that this is an, a brilliant move for Eddie, and I, I makes me respect him because I feel like he he's not in denial of what's going on. I think that it must be hard and pride, you know, to put your pride aside and realize, okay, you know, I'm losing to some of these guys that are currently in, you know, the UFC and in my division. Um, you don't want to go back to Bellator because he feels like he's faced, like you said, Michael Chandler. Maybe there is some newer guys that he hasn't faced, but he's faced, you know, a good amount of uh, their talent there. And I think that uh, if he wants to really continue his legacy, he wanted to look at what his other options are. Instead of being that fighter that just kind of overfights in the UFC and loses what, you know, he had done of being a champion and having some dominant fights there. So it makes me respect that he is willing to walk away and see how else he can kind of just go out and, and go out on his terms of being on top. And I like that one champion, you know, threw a contract at him and a deal at him because he now has an opportunity to be the first, you know, guy to uh, hold titles in Bellator UFC and one championship um, with lightweight. So there, there's still opportunity for him to be on top and be someone who's breaking a record that somebody else hasn't done. So I think it's a great move for him. Um, why not go out there and, and, you know, be a new star in a different market? Um, and why not face other, other competition too? Because I think if you really are in it for the competition, you know, instead of having rematches with certain people or, or you know, uh, trying to play it back with Michael Chandler, even though Double G on TV would like to see it. Um, you know, it would be nice to, you know, for me as an athlete, I would be nice to continue fighting the competition in other areas too. So I think it's a great move for him. Yeah. For me, I think that you really got to look at his age and the calendar. Yes. Does he still have great years where he's going to be a very competitive, very tough, lightweight? Absolutely. But that being said, let's say even if he did beat Dustin Poirier in June, are you now, you know, you're definitely still behind Tony Ferguson. Would you have taken the fight with Nate Diaz if you're Eddie Alvarez at this stage of your career? Probably not. Similar to Joanna Valentina stepping up early. Joanna's already had the belt. I can't say that Eddie would have felt the pressure to now risk his spot in line to fight a Nate Diaz. That's one thing. So you're talking about probably waiting to see what happens with Tony Ferguson. What's up with Habib? Um, Kevin Lee is still out there and has a big fight. Could he kind of break through? There's a lot of factors. It's not just, okay, you know, I'm at the top. It's a close shot to a title. As inactive as these guys have been a few times in the lightweight division, there really was no telling when he would actually get that title shot. So for him, I think it was about, hey, these are my last good years. I want to be active. I'm, let's be honest, it's going to be a high-risk thing to try to take other fights in UFC if I can't get a title shot quickly. What, what really matters to me? He went out there, he said, you know what, they're offering me the contract. I've already accomplished everything. It's going to be hit or miss whether or not I actually can make it to the UFC title again. Let me go get paid. And you know what? He doesn't have anything to prove. 
for me, I think is like you said, great business move. I think that it shows that his smarts. And also, I want to point out, just like you hear about NBA players going over to play in Japan or China, Asia is one of the biggest markets, most profitable in the world. You go out. You you can't think of going to Asia as oh, you know, the minor league. The fans, if you go out there and you fight and perform for them, they eat it up and you become a star over there. Plain and simple. It's not out of the question for Eddie to have that kind of second life after UFC, in my opinion. So I like the move. And Kayla, if you ask me, this is why Eddie has one of the best stories in mixed martial arts in terms of being a free agent. Because he proved that he could be in Bellator and you could create a demand for you in the free agent market, and that's why he made it to UFC. Now, I think that if he hadn't become a big star, Bellator may still have struggled with the uh, free agents because I think that guys like Rory, Gegard, and them, they saw how big you could be if you're an Eddie Alvarez. And if anything, now they do it in reverse because now they know there's a market for you outside UFC in America if you want it. And I think that is the impact that he's had with his business decisions. I just think it's him making the best, most beneficial move, even if it means turning away from fights with the top five UFC lightweights that we're familiar with. Yeah, I think it's a good move for him. Um, and I, I see him doing well over there too. I mean, he's, he has that star quality to bring. He's also got a good guy to talk to, a uh, fellow Bellator, former Bellator champion, Ben Askren. I mean, he, the blueprint is there for him to follow to close out his career in style. I mean, you got to imagine he's going to be in some big fights on big cards there in Asia. So I think it's going to be good. But um, yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm going to miss seeing him in UFC. I mean, I wouldn't mind watching the Justin Gaethje fight again, all that good stuff. So I'm going to miss Eddie Alvarez in the octagon, but good for him. It's a great now, move. Gee. Go ahead. I do hear that the fights over, you know, across the seas, that the audience tends to stay pretty quiet. Are they going to be okay with Eddie Alvarez's loud screams from his wife cheering him on? I think that <laughs> the Asian people are lovely, kind, respectful, and they're going to understand that, you know what, this is how the Americans support each other, and that's his wife. We're okay if she shouts. Let her do her thing. Yeah. <laughs> let let her cheer for her man. I think that as long as she's not saying bad things to one of their local people, it's going to be all respect, in my opinion. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think that because he's so she's so passionate, you can hear it in her screams or her cheers, that they'll probably just find it cute. It's not like she's necessarily trying to be obnoxious. She's just in it with him. There you go. See? I mean, I, I hope. <laughs> Imagine if they're like, Eddie Alvarez does a press conference. He's like, yeah, they said I'm not allowed to bring my wife to fights anymore. They don't like her. <laughs> she's too loud for Asia. I hope it's not like that. But yeah, look, I mean, a lot of fun stuff. And um, UFC will be back. They have the big event in Moncton. Um, why I blanked on his name briefly. Vulcan Uzdemir, Anthony Lionheart-Smith, two just knockout artists who are going to bring it. That's going to be fun. Then, of course, we're going to be looking toward the... I, I call it the fall interlude because it's really slow. 
Madison Square Garden is going to happen, and there's not really much before we hit a very packed December. Obviously, Bellator in Hawaii, two UFC pay-per-views, and the finals for PFL. So November is going to be a little slower, but there's still going to be some fights to carry us through. Halloween, Thanksgiving, next week we'll have a great Halloween segment, of course, revisiting some conversations we've had about scary stuff in MMA, Kayla, so I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) But Kayla, it's great to be on the air with you as always. Where can fans find you on social media? You as well, G. Fans can find me at fangirl underscore MMA. Where can they find you? You can find me all the time at double G on TV. Just spell out the word double and we'll be back next week.